Hey y'all, welcome back to Root Cause Radio. Today we are going to get into the nitty gritties of intermittent fasting. Anya, are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm very excited. This is such a, I feel like this has been such a hot topic that is just getting hotter and hotter. There's so much confusion around it, especially in the women's health sphere. So I'm excited to to kind of burst or bust <laughs> some myths around intermittent fasting and talk about how to use it to your benefit. Yes. And I absolutely like, honestly, I've been doing intermittent, intermittent fasting since I was 17. So like seeing it actually be trendy for now, I'm like, wow, you guys, like you're a little late in the game here, but it's honestly, it's exciting to see it be trendy because there are so many good benefits to intermittent fasting, which you guys were going to talk about the pros, the cons, the different types of fasting. But what I want everybody to know before we get started is intermittent fasting AKA IF it's a method and a tool for eating and dieting that involves specific ways of either time restricted reading or time restricted uh, feeding or eating and fasting Mm -hmm. windows. So it's a method and a tool. It's not a, it's, it's not a religion and thing that you focus on for the rest of your life. Use it as a method and a tool. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's very different. Also the type of IF that you do, um, it's not all the same and we'll go into all the different types, but it's really important that if you do find that you're a good fit for IF and you want to implement it, that just because someone is doing one type and it works for them, doesn't mean that's not going to, or that is going to work for you. So Yes. Yeah. And each type has different benefits and well, let's, okay, let's dive in. Cause we're like, yeah, ah, let's, let's go. okay. So let's start with the different types of fasting. Now you guys naturally as a human, you fast, you go to sleep, you fast for like eight hours. If you're getting a good eight hours of sleep, you naturally fast. But with intermittent fasting is strategic ways of eating to where sometimes it could be fasting for 16 hours and then eating for eight hours, fasting for 12 hours, then eating for 12 hours. And then there's other ways like alternate day fasting, 24 hour to 36 hour fasts. Um, there's the, you know, five, two fast in which when, in which you like, uh, basically eat a, how would you define the five, two? Cause I have a different definition. Yeah. The way I understand it is for five days of the week, you just eat as you normally would. And the other two days are basically like, uh, like a fasting mimicking protocol. So usually you, you still eat, but it's very little. It's more like about 500 calories per day. Yeah, I've seen it different in the literature. Sometimes it's a actual, there's caloric restriction in those five days and the fasting, it's about 500 calories or less on those days. Um, or it's oblidium, aka eat whatever you want in those five days, but 500 calories or less in those two days. And then for alternate day fasting, essentially it's alternating days where you, this they list it out as oblidium, aka you eat whatever you want for your eating days and then the fasting days, it's 500 calories or less, or choosing some shape or form of fasting, mimicking um, powders, drinks, or shakes in order to reach that caloric intake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of backtrack, intermittent fasting or any sort of fasting, it's, it's it might be buzzy now, but it's nothing new, right? It's been used for, for centuries. It's been used for religious purposes. It's been used also just involuntarily just like in our in our earlier more primal times when food was more scarce and we weren't we didn't have the privilege to just reach into our freezer and pull out ben and jerry's at 1 a.m right so this isn't anything new and i feel like that's a really important thing to understand when when people kind of like dismiss iap as being just like a trendy phase um it's not trendy right it's been used for a long time and a lot of these spiritual practices um you know there is like this sort of like like wisdom behind them right and it's interesting to think that like maybe there was a health benefit that was driving them to become incorporated into religious practices and that that is now you know being translated in a non-religious kind of context so just something kind of interesting to keep in mind when we talk about all of this yeah now let's start with the benefits of intermittent fasting. And please know you guys, some of the different types of fasting have greater benefits for some of these specific things. For example, you know, if you have a 16 hour fast up to a, you know, 24 hour fast, the, the, 
the benefits of autophagy are so much better and your metabolism, metabolic flexibility are so much better than if you did something like a 12 hour fast. Yeah. And so is it autophagy or autophagy? Cause that is autophagy <laughs> or, or I've literally always said it incorrectly. Always. But I it's autophagy. I mispronounce most things and I think it's always important to just like question ourselves with that. <laughs> um, but you know, regardless, you know, just for context, autophagy is, is this process of like cellular turnover. It's basically like their body cleaning up dead cells to make room for new ones. Right. Um, and this really does kick in when we are in a fasting state and a lot of the benefits that are tied with IF are tied to this process, actually, specifically, right? So, you know, a lot of the claims that it helps, like, reduce cancer risk, that it can help with, like, longevity and cognition and inflammation, um, all of this really, or a lot of it, comes down to autophagy. Um, so, you know, autophagy really is, is like kind of our body's natural janitorial system or that sort of mm-hmm. self-cleaning regulation. And it's really important with the prevention of chronic disease and just overall well-being. Yeah, I see it as a like maintenance, a cleaning maintenance in the body, mm-hmm. helping to get rid of get rid of the old destructed red blood cells, white blood cells, making room for new ones, supporting the immune system, fighting di- against different infections, viruses, bacteria. And of course, it's it's helpful for, you know, helping the cells to adapt to stressful conditions and energy production as well. So I see big benefits. And then of course, with autophagy, we have longevity and benefits with that as well by getting rid of those destructed red blood cells by, you know, helping the cell danger response. You're also seeing potentially increases in longevity and telomere length um, and benefits with that as well. Yeah. And, you know, you can start to get some of those benefits without necessarily going into more of an extreme intermittent fasting protocol. So for example, like I personally, I'm more of that circadian rhythm faster. So it's usually a 12-hour eating window, 12-hour fasting period. That's what works for me. I'm a little bit more sensitive. And, you know, even still, like, with that sort of, like, smaller fasting window, you still can get those benefits. So it doesn't mean that you need to be on more of an extreme end in order to get there. Um, it's, it's just for certain conditions And we'll kind of dive into that more, but for certain conditions, having a little bit longer of a fast or, or much longer of a fast is necessary in order to like, you know, speed up that process. Yeah. They don't really know necessarily like what level of fasting that you need to reach autophagy. Some Mm -hmm. studies show that it's 12 hours is enough. Some show that that's, it takes longer and it's up to 16 to 18 hours for that actually to happen. Um, so really, we really don't know, but I think the most important thing is understanding that we are humans too, and doing extended long, you know, 18 hour, 24 hour fast is very stressful on the body. And even if you could have a benefit for autophagy and longevity, doesn't mean that that's something that you need to be consistently doing. Absolutely. Um, And there's other ways before, sorry, before we dive into like the other benefits, very important to mention like caloric restriction itself is a way to promote autophagy exercise, regular exercise, mm -hmm. especially anything that requires like resistance training, high intensity exercise is a way. Um, and then just getting general good sleep. So there's so many other ways to help, um, improve and support that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not the only way. (laughs) Um, but yeah, another kind of big benefit and, and what draws a lot of people into IF is definitely weight and weight loss, right? right? So there's there's a few different ways with which IF can can help with that. The first is like the most basic and the most, I think, the, the most obvious, and that is that it can be a tool to help get you into um, a calorie deficit where you're consuming less calories than you're expending or burning, right? And that's really because when you have a smaller eating window, it's just harder to fit that much food in, um, especially if you are doing a fasting protocol that requires you to cut off like late night eating. That's usually when a lot of people get in more of their excess calories and ha- have those more like highly processed snack foods and and treats and whatnot. So it can help with weight loss just by the calorie restriction aspect alone. Um, but that's not the only way that it can help with weight loss. Another really big 
um, mechanism is the effects that it has on insulin, um, which, you know, that could also help with, aside from weight loss, a variety of other health conditions, you know, things like PCOS, type 2 diabetes, um, you know, other sort of like metabolic diseases. And I feel like this is really where intermittent fasting, to me at least, is like the most interesting, most helpful and applicable to a lot of my clients. Yeah, because essentially when you are not constantly eating and you have periods of fasting, you, you're not pumping out insulin because of the foods that you're consuming to be able to bring glucose into the cell for fuel. You're, you're in a state to where your body physically has to release glucose from your liver, has to release fatty acids from your um, fat tissue, and that all increases your metabolic metabolic flexibility and decreases mm -hmm. your insulin levels. And that does help with weight loss. Yeah. And specifically fat burning, right? Because when it comes to weight loss, we care more about you losing fat and holding on to muscle versus just losing overall weight, including muscle. And there's so many reasons why, you know, it's going to be more beneficial for your metabolism. It's going to be more beneficial for your body composition, um, for your bone density and, and whatnot. And with controlling those insulin levels, which you can do with IF, you're able to burn more fat. Um, and that could be really beneficial as well. Yep. And the key thing is when it comes down to the the ability to burn fat, it's more than just using fat as fuel. So in order to lose weight, yes, with intermittent fasting, it helps with metabolic flexibility, which is basically being able to uh, switch from different substrates, glucose or fatty acids for energy. But just because you're able to do that doesn't mean you're, you're actually losing fat. So that's where it comes into intermittent fasting does require a deficit in order to actually lose weight, though you might get improvements in metabolic health markers. Yeah. Yeah. And the end of the day, like no matter what, like you do have to have a calorie deficit in order to lose weight, but the calorie equation is much more complicated than food in versus food out. Um, and that's a whole other topic that, that we could not, we could save for another time, but that's, yeah, that's a very important point. Yeah. And I like that intermittent fasting with the fat burning, the lower insulin levels, um, also helps to improve human growth hormone, which can help with fat loss, as well as building muscle. So that's an extra just fun side effect that you get with intermittent fasting. Yeah, but it's also is a tricky balance when you are trying to build muscle, because again, if you're trying to build muscle, it's the opposite. Like you, there are actually, sorry, there are, there are specific circumstances where someone can build muscle and lose fat at the same time. But for the average person, unless they're like brand new to training or they're obese or coming off of like a long period of inactivity, in order to build muscle, you have to actually be in a calorie surplus, right? And that can be a little bit harder to do when you are doing intermittent fasting where you're doing longer fasting windows, um, especially if you're you're working out fasted as well that, you know, there's mixed opinions on fasted workouts, but for a lot of cases that actually can inhibit muscle gaining. So it is a tricky balance and you have to consider a lot of factors before I think you, you make that conclusion that, IF will help you build muscle. Yeah, I think that's so hard because there have been studies that show that intermittent fasting, it doesn't actually delay your progression and strength or muscle building. So there are studies that show that. But if you think in regards to like muscle protein, muscle protein synthesis, sorry, we've gone into cons for a quick second, <laughs> muscle protein <laughs> synthesis, synthesis and spiking that and taking advantage of those periods, it is best to have boluses, um, optimally at least four to spike muscle protein synthesis for best progression and muscle growth. And if you're not getting that, you can potentially have catabolism, muscle protein breakdown, and you're losing those thresholds to potentially build muscle. So if you're thinking about like scientific Scientific-wise, you might potentially lower your chance of gaining muscle, gaining strength with IF, but the science does say that you might not. And so it's really a person-by-person -person dependent thing. Yeah. Yeah. And let me also say that, like, with with the science and with all the research around it, just like anything nutrition-related, it is just very, very hard to control for all these variables. So, you know, two people can be doing the exact same fasting mimicking pro protocol or IF protocol and they can have extremely different diets and lifestyles. And so it's going to result in extremely different outcomes. So just something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. Extremely important. Okay. Yeah. Back to the benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have metabolic health improvements that can manifest, you know, 
kidney health, liver health, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or if we're talking about like the new change, the metabolic um, adaptation kind of like disease there with that. Um, and then we didn't talk about IBD and gut health and SIBO. So I loved when we were getting ready for this, like looking into the potential benefits of intermittent fasting. And it's been shown that intermittent fasting can be helpful with inflammatory bowel disease in relation to changes in the gut microbiota, giving the uh, bowel a rest in order to not always be, you know, digesting food and then seeing the benefits for SIBO too with less food and giving, you know, the migrating motor complex time to sweep and clean out in between your meals can definitely be a potential improvement. Yeah. Yeah. That, so the my, migrating motor complex is again, like another form of your body's janitorial system, right? But basically it kicks in during a period of fasting and it helps like think of it as something that sweeps away and cleans up debris in your GI tract between meals, right? It's it's obviously a lot more complicated and technical than that, but that's a way that you could think of it. Um, so in cases like SIBO, it is really helpful to have um, some sort of fasting window. Um, also, you know, meal spacing is an important thing, but that's a separate topic. Um, with with IBS or with any other sort of like digestive issues. Um, it's, it's tricky. It can be definitely a, a hit or miss. Um, I find that like a lot of people who do struggle with constipation, who wait a long time in the morning before they eat, um, that it can, can make things a little bit worse because when you do eat, especially when you eat breakfast, kind of helps to wake up the bowels. So just something to keep in mind. Again, I know we're supposed to be talking about benefits, but it's hard not to bring up the drawbacks that if you are dealing with constipation, IF, if you, and you are intermittent fasting, it, IF could be making it worse for you. But for SIBO, um, you know, and and also for just like general like chronic bloating and you know gas pains, I find that having some sort of fasting window is really helpful. Yeah, the one thing that it can cause, and I'll go to cons now, <laughs> is mm -hmm. if you are consuming too much volume in one meal or, you know, too much gas producing foods in one meal with those meals or snacks that you're having while you're, you're actually having your feeding windows. If they're too big, that's going to make you more gassy and bloated, make your digestion worse. So it truly is person by person dependent, but I love the gut break it gives you. So regardless of if you're going 12 to 16 hour, at least having that good 12 hour break could be, is very important for any like gut issue in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, in general, I think there, there are very select few people in the world that do well on a one meal a day sort of IF, you know, or OMAD, right? And because, again, when you're only having one or even just two meals a day um, and you're having this big bolus of food, it's, it's going to be a lot to digest, especially if you're also trying to get in a lot of nutrients in those meals. So you're having a lot of fiber and plants and and all of that. So yeah, definitely if you're having gut issues and you want to do fasting, still space it into three balanced meals within your fasting window. Don't just like slam it all in, into one meal because that's going to make you feel worse. Yeah, I agree. And then I find a big benefit when it comes down to fasting is the cognition improvements and the focus that it gives you too. And I think there's a variety of things or reasons why it can do that. One, because autophagy. So it's cleaning out, you know, the bad, the debris. And so you're not having a lot of that inflammation that can manifest in brain fog. And then two, I think by forcing your body to not have to rely on glucose for fuel and your brain for glucose as fuel, you're increasing that metabolic flexibility and allowing your brain to start also utilizing fatty acids, which could potentially be more beneficial when it comes down to memory and focus. Also too, I mean, you're not having blood sugar swings going up and down. So instead of blood sugar going up and down, you have a steady, consistent blood glucose level. And that's so much easier when it comes down to cognition. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, again, there, there are exceptions to this, right? So if like you struggle with hypoglycemia or low blood sugar, fasting too long can, can, can exacerbate that and that yeah. could impair your cognition or your focus. Or like if you're someone who struggles a lot with anxiety, um, then fasting in the morning, you know, can, can definitely be, be problematic and triggering for that. And then you're anxious, your cognition and focus and performance are all going to decline as well. So I definitely find that like, it's one of those things that, you know, if IF is working for you, like if, like you find that your cognition improves in the morning when you wait to extend your breakfast a little bit. 
Um, so just because, again, like a lot of people, they say it works for them. That's great. Just because it works for someone doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So just be honest with yourself with this one, because I see a lot of people that are powering through. And then we switch to having, you know, breakfast a little bit earlier. And they're like, yeah, like my my performance is so much better. I can finally focus. So it's not everyone. But for those people who it works for, it works for. And I will go against what Anya just said, because I am that person and say <laughs> that if you are not metabolically flexible, then you're going to have issues with poor cognition by not consuming carbohydrates. So in that case, if you are trying to fast and it's you're having issues with cognition, you might actually not be metabolically flexible and you might need to work on your metabolic metabolic flexibility in order to, to have your body to be able to use fatty acids or even ketones, which would be later on with uh, fat breakdown, um, but use that as fuel. So that's just mm. my, you know, thought of the day. Well, I don't think that goes against it. I think that's something that you can work on. And that is important to note that like, Maybe you need to eat a meal earlier, but that meal has to be very thoughtful, right? So like something that maybe is not going to cause your blood sugar to be haywire, something that's mostly protein and fat, right? Um, Definitely so, a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very person dependent. Okay. Other improvements. We got um, b lower blood pressure, lower mm -hmm. blood lipids, lower triglycerides. So decreasing your risk of heart disease. And then we also have potentially a uh, decreased cancer risk. And that's in regards to autophagy, inflammation, cleaning out. That's really kind of like controversial, but those uh, with the cancer, but those would be extra benefits that you can get with fasting. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen some like really incredible studies and and stories on cancer and that's more in like the, sort of like a clinical fasting setting where you have actually like a medically guided extended fast um which i definitely wouldn't recommend anyone do on their own if they're doing more than like 24 hours or even 36 hours um but some of those stories are really incredible so something to keep in mind uh, i wish it was popping up when i was at md anderson said that really weird md anderson cancer center um i was helping with some research which i absolutely wish they would finally have like the results of but it was basically an, an analysis of checking to see if intermittent fasting or a keto diet would be helpful for decreasing mortality in brain cancer patients i wish that would come up i'm so fascinated by that but yeah just interesting thing because there's a lot of science coming out. Yeah, I, I'm interested in it too. And it's it's I feel like it's a very delicate subject sometimes to broach as well because, you know, with cancer patients, it's kind of like, you know, you you want to make sure that they're getting adequate nutrition because they're they might have wasting or you just want them to like, you know, be able to just enjoy food because that that brings them pleasure and whatnot. But they're definitely is a lot of, I think there's going to be more and more studies coming out around cancer and fasting and, and how it can positively impact things. So let's go into the cons here, <laughs> the drawbacks yeah. of intermittent fasting, which we've kind of already mentioned. And mm -hmm. the biggest one is in females, not really males for this, but in females, you can cause big hormonal imbalances. And that's because intermittent fasting is very stressful to your body. And essentially with stress, high cortisol, cortisol dysregulation, that communicates up to your HPA axis, your hypothalamic pituitary axis. And the first thing it's going to do is it's going to cause issues with GnRH pulsing, which impacts your ability to, of course, have FSH increase to have the follicle in your ovaries to mature and grow, and then also can lower your ability to ovulate, less LH pulsitivity. And that essentially, all that means you could have in hormonal imbalances. So I dip, typically I do see if, if fasting is not good for you, or if you do it too much in combination with too many stressors, you might have a missed period, skipped period, longer period, or even a heavier period. Yeah. Or like if you're like struggling with infertility, for example, um, I would definitely like reconsider fasting if it's what you're doing right now. 
But, you know, in general, like with, with stressors, right, there is a sweet spot for most people, just like with something like exercise, you know, it's, it's beneficial up to a certain point, then you get diminishing returns. But when it comes to our hormones, especially in like those premenopausal women, um, that sort of like sweet spot, I find just, we need to have a little bit smaller of a fasting window. Um, And also this can vary the time in your cycle as well. So I find that in that follicular phase or the first half of the cycle, women are a little bit more resilient and, you know, can respond better to uh, having more of a fasting protocol. Whereas in the second half during the luteal phase, we're more sensitive and, you know, our blood sugar is a little bit more wonky and, and maybe we are a little bit less metabolically flexible. And during that time, maybe you'd want to stop the IF um, just during the luteal phase up until you get your period. Yeah. And there's that, what are, what's her name? Fast like a girl. There's that new book that comes out. Mm-hmm. Oh, by Mindy Peltz. I'm not a fan. I think some of the things that she suggests aren't like full, but I do love the fact that she mentions what you just said with fasting, not to fast during the 20 of uh, the day, like day 20 to the day you get your period, because it's so harmful for preventing progesterone to sustain in your cycle. Progesterone mm-hmm. is so beyond sensitive to cortisol and stress, y'all. So that's very important. If you do fast, like the best thing that you could do is not fast during that second phase of your luteal phase. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really important to, again, always think of this as a tool, not necessarily your identity. Because <laughs> right. I feel like people get like so attached to it and they're like, oh yeah, I'm an intermittent faster. So I'm going to fast all the time. Like, why would I stop? at different points in my cycle, but it's a tool, right? And if you want to be using it for your benefit, you should, you need to be flexible about it. So, yeah, I, I think I've, I've checked out her book before and, and I, I agree there are certain things that I'm, I'm not really sure I really align with, but I do believe and and firmly like have seen that it varies woman by woman, but in pre premenopausal close to the period, I usually like to have a little bit longer of an eating window. Yeah. And when it comes down to, you know, drawbacks, we did also talk about the potential for muscle loss and problems Mm -hmm. building muscle. So I think we, is there anything else that you wanted to comment on that, Anya? Um, no, I feel like we, we got most of that really. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, the, the thing I would add again is like that you can do intermittent fasting without having fasted workouts. Um, but if you do like to work out first thing in the morning and you want to do intermittent fasting, it can be a little bit tricky, right? So I usually say that like, if you need to work out first thing in the morning, try to have like a, a high protein meal within about 30 minutes of finishing your workout. If that workout is fasted, um, yeah. just to help start that or kickstart that recovery process. Cause the key thing is, if you don't consume a meal prior to going to the gym, you are breaking down your muscle glycogen and most, well, mostly your liver glycogen first. And then you're also wasting away your protein, um, your amino acids to turn into glucose for fuel. If you're doing a fasted workout, not really good if your goal is to gain muscle, build muscle. So going into a workout always with carbs and food and protein first is best. That way you're not wasting away your protein and carbs are also muscle sparing, preventing you from breaking down your muscle while you're in training. So it's just, if your goal is optimal, it is to optimize growing muscle. It's always best to try and figure out if you're going to do fasting, when can you work out in which you're going to work out with food in you? Yeah. And it's hard, right? Because I guess if you're doing IF, then like probably the optimal time for you to work out would be like in the middle of the day, right? Which is usually, it's not, it's not always really accessible to everyone, right? So then maybe you could also think about your window that you are maybe starting to eat earlier, but you're stopping earlier as well. So like, let's say the only time that you could work out is like from seven to 8 a.m., right? So then you have a high protein breakfast around 8.30, and let's say then you have dinner, you know, closer to like five-ish or 5.30 on the earlier side. So you're still getting like at least 12 hours, probably more like 14 hours of fasting. Um, but you are not, you know, but but you're not going too long after you work out without eating as well. Yes, I love that. Completely agree with that. And uh, the side effects of 
<laughs> intermittent fasting too is it does not allow you to listen to your hunger cues. So unfortunately for some people, this can cause major disordered eating or even binging. Some people, it actually helps them with their eating because maybe that Maybe by fasting, you know, you're able to have those larger meals that you feel more satisfied in. But for some people, especially with history binging, if you are not consuming anything, like say you fast during the day, that may make you super hungry to the point where in the evenings, then you binge and have no control. So I would say, honestly, out of all the side effects, the binge eating is and the overeating in the evening, that's one of the worst ones with fasting for me. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I kind of, when I think about intermittent fasting and disordered eating or eating disorders, I think it more is like, it doesn't necessarily, intermittent fasting, I, in my kind of opinion and experience, I don't think IF causes an eating disorder, but I think it can enable one. Um, so if you do have a history of it, or you are currently struggling with it, this is not a good fit at all because the, the first priority is getting more in touch with your hunger fullness cues. And yeah. especially if like you are like underweight, which, you know, just in general, if you are underweight, IF is, is usually not a good fit for you. Um, that can cause more issues as well. So yeah, I, I feel like, and, and let me also say this, that like, just because someone uses time restricted eating doesn't mean that they have disordered eating. Right. Um, so it doesn't, this isn't like a two way street. Right. So you just have to keep that in mind that it's not like everyone who intermittent fasting has an eating disorder at all or has a negative relationship with food. It's a tool and they could be doing it for a number of other reasons, um, like what we listed above that are beneficial that are completely unrelated to weight as well. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. Other cons of intermittent fasting I mean it definitely can oops go ahead oh I was gonna say like it can interfere with your social life Um, I was literally about to say that (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah but that you know I like to kind of say like that onus is kind of like on you right so like if you're using it as an excuse like not to go to dinner you're being like too like too rigid about it that you're like either like saying no to plants or you're like going out for a meal and you're like not eating anything just because that's like not within your window, then I think you need to kind of like have a little like um, reality moment that like your social health is also a really important part of well-being and whatnot. And so, you know, it's okay. Again, this is not your identity. It's okay if maybe once a week or so, like you have dinner at eight o'clock instead of six o'clock. It's not going to make or break anything with your health. If, if anything, it could be beneficial because you're getting other social aspects too. Um, so yeah, those are, that's my honest thought on that What What do you think? Oh, no, I completely get that. And I've been through that personally because I've done fasting for so long. And so it took me a period of time because I typically out fast to like three. And so I would, people would be like, oh, do you want to get breakfast in the morning? And my, of course I would be like, no, because I, don't eat in the morning, you know, like I, and it took away from my quality of life and stopped me from enjoying brunch and brunch is delicious. So Mm -hmm. just, just know that you go through those things, but you learn and you, you find out that you can still reach the benefits. At least I have, you can still reach the benefits of fasting and take days off of that fasting, even multiple, like if you fast three days a week, you're still getting those benefits, those three days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so important. I'm glad this came up. Like, um, yeah, you should, if you ever, and this goes like, I feel like with all, all nutrition interventions and, and lifestyle or whatnot, if you're ever saying no to plans, um, for the sake of like preserving your eating routine or your workout routine or whatnot, then, you know, you need to remember what you're doing this for, right? It's important to be healthy so that you could live a rich and fulfilling life. But if you're not actually going out and living and enjoying that life, what's it all for? Right. So, right. Something. And there's, there's, you know, there's situations to where maybe if your goal is to look a certain way in your wedding dress, maybe you have a specific goal that you have, and it's going to be maybe a couple weeks of saying no to things. That's okay. But it's Mm -hmm. when that becomes, okay, I'm always saying no. And my workouts or my food is taking over 
my life and being the focus versus enjoying time with people, family and friends, that's where the, mm-hmm. it becomes an issue. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, I'll also say there, there's nothing wrong with like suggesting something different <laughs> sometimes. Like if it's actually, if it's something that you think makes sense, like, you know, I live in New York city. So like sometimes like dinners will be planned for like nine o'clock, which is crazy to me even still. And, you know, let's say if I have a friend that wants to meet for dinner at like eight 39, I'll be like, that's really late. What if we do (laughs) seven o'clock, you know, and and that's fine. It's it's fine. And kind of advocate and suggest these things as well. Right. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a balance and it's okay if there is a short period of time where you're saying no to things a little bit more, but again, just keep in mind your why with all of this and, and don't be afraid to just like be a little bit more flexible when the time comes. Right. And the last thing I do want to bring up as a con, and I have seen this with people that do the alternate day fasting in which they do, you know, ab libidium, whatever they want that day. And then they fast or don't really anything the next day. I have seen that cause so much disordered eating. And I do want to mention that that is Mm -hmm. the biggest one that I see cause issues. So just be very careful. If you feel like your relationship with food is going downhill and you can't listen to your hunger and fullness cues, or you start developing an all or nothing mindset, there might be an issue developing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So who is intermittent, intermittent fasting for versus not for Anya? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is definitely people with any sort of like insulin resistance, especially insulin resistance paired with being overweight or obese. Um, like we talked about already, it can really help lower insulin levels and improve your blood sugar response. Um, and it can also help just lower overall weight, um, which can help, you know, with any other sort of like weight related metabolic dysfunction. So that would be the biggest thing that would come to mind with like almost all of those cases with the, with a very, with very few exceptions can definitely benefit from, from some sort of time restricted eating. Yeah, I agree. And I'm a big fan if any women have any shape or form of PCOS and it's insulin-based PCOS or androgen-based PCOS, big fan of intermittent fasting. Yeah, but remember, disclaimer, just because you have PCOS or you have been told that you have PCOS doesn't mean that you have high insulin or even high androgens. So the diagnosis is given out like candy and there's a lot of variation and nuances to it. So just something to keep in mind. But yeah, I agree for those, for those PCOS cases, it can be a, a game changer and really, really beneficial. But again, usually in those cases, there is an issue where you might be overweight as well. Um, so it all kind of ties together. I see intermittent fasting be great for all men, almost all men, unless you have like really high cortisol stress or tapped out low cortisol. I mean, intermittent fasting is great for all men because they get the lovely benefits of not having changing fluctuated hormones on a day-to-day basis. So all men it's good for. And then, um, in regards to perimost, I can't talk today. Goodness gracious, Lord almighty, perimenopausal and menopausal women, also menopausal women could benefit from that because when you lose that estrogen, when you are in menopause, that makes you less insulin sensitive, more resistant. And so the intermittent fasting might help you with metabolic flexibility and increasing insulin sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like almost every menopausal uh, woman that I've worked with has benefited from IF. Um, And I know it must be so nice to be a man and not have those sensitive hormones, but (laughs) <laughs> you know, that even still like with the menopausal women, with men, if you are a really high stress person, um, if you have a lot of stress going on in your life, intermittent fasting is a stress, right? So it always comes back to that stress bucket that we've brought up several times where, you know, our bodies can only handle a certain amount of stress. And once we kind of pass that threshold, we get diminishing returns. So for example, like, you know, let's say intermittent fasting usually works for you, but now you're going through a period in your life where things are really crazy and there's a lot of, you know, big changes and anxiety and whatnot. Maybe you take a break from IF during that time until other things calm down. Right. Um, or if like, let's say you are, and this is like another person who it's maybe not for as well, but if you are like a, like very high performing athlete, um, who requires a lot of calories, a lot of energy, and especially food before and after exercise, then maybe that intermittent fasting is, is not a good fit for you either. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Anybody that's doing any like high intensity exercise, CrossFit, even really like I was going to say bodybuilding, but I mean, you technically, you might be able to do it, not optimal, but yeah, definitely not good for you. And then if anybody has a pregnancy goal, breastfeeding, mm-hmm. amenorrhea, infertility, you definitely don't want to be fasting unless you have high insulin levels, insulin resistance, it might be helpful. But most of the time, if you have infertility, it's going to be an, an additional stressor on your body. Yeah. And again, it's always, it's the same thing with PCOS, right? It's it's what is driving the infertility. Are you having trouble with infertility because your insulin is wonky and because you're like, you know, consuming excess calories and, you know, a lot of inflammatory foods at night, then maybe you can benefit in terms of fertility from doing intermittent fasting. But for the most part with, with women that I see, at least in my practice, that are struggling with infertility. We really want to make sure we are like nourishing the adrenals, getting adequate nutrients, um, keeping stress as low as possible. And and that's a good time to take a break from IF. Yeah. The key thing I want people to remember is intermittent fasting is very much a person by person dependent thing. And you have to figure out what hours of fasting you do well with, how you do well when it comes down to breaking your fast and listen to your body. Because if you feel like you're tanking out and you're an exhausted pigeon, it's probably not good for you. Um, And do know too, with getting started intermittent fasting, if everybody, and we'll talk about that in a second, but just know that it does also take time to get used to fasting. So if you want to fast and there's benefits for fasting that are going to be good for you, you have to kind of like push through the beginning too, because it can be hard to get used to. So yeah, how do we safely start it, Anya? I'll let you go. Yeah, well, like you just mentioned, start slow, right? So I usually to say like for most people, it's start with that circadian rhythm 12-hour fast where you don't eat for a 12-hour window and then you eat for a 12-hour window, preferably like nothing too extreme in terms of later early in the day. Like let's say like you eat dinner at 7.30 and then you eat breakfast at 7.30, something like that. Um, start with that, see how you do for a few days. And then you could slowly increase the hours a little bit if you feel like you're a good fit for it. Um, and some, as you're doing that, make sure that you are listening to your body's warning signs that this is actually causing more harm than good. So for example, like those food cravings, right, or or binging or overeating at meals could be a good warning sign that "Mm, maybe this isn't working well. Um, Really bad irritability too, I see a lot with people, especially in the morning, or really bad anxiety, which kind of like we talked about, probably means that you need to do a little bit work on your metabolic flexibility, but not always, um, especially if you are starting to increase kind of more up there, for example, like you're doing like a 16 hour fast and in the morning you're noticing a lot of those symptoms, then maybe you need to back down to a 12. And if you're good there, you can stay there for a little bit longer. Um, all the while, other kind of like tips that I like to say is make sure you're hydrating a lot, um, preferably with electrolytes, some minerals like potassium, magnesium, sodium, and you can also add other trace minerals. I really like almond tea for electrolytes, um, but there are hundreds of different options out there that are really great, or you can make your own mineral drink. Just be careful with those that have like a lot of like juice or coconut water, other added sugar as well. Um, yeah. What, what else would you say after that? Yeah, those are my favorites. Really staying hydrated is key. I would say if you can try and not drink caffeine, um, especially because with lack of food that does increase your risk of going hypoglycemic and also caffeine in coffee on an empty stomach in itself is very stressful for your adrenals. So if you can keep caffeine low, if not, you know, just be very careful. If you do become, you know, hypoglycemic with your fasting and it's new to you, that's going to be like, irritable palm, like sweating, um, shaky palms, hands, um, brain fog with that anger, hangriness, you might want to grab like a small little snack and break your fast in order to get your blood sugar up. So I would definitely say if you're new to fasting, have something ready to go, a smart snack. So a carb with a fat or carb with a protein, just in case you go, go hypoglycemic, um, that's past just the caffeine. Yeah. And with those caffeinated drinks too, and just like your morning beverage in general, because I had so many questions about that, like 
what if I add milk to it? What if I add like butter or MCT oil or whatnot? Um, you know, there's, there are mixed opinions on this. Like I kind of have like anything like less than 50 calories is okay. So for example, like, let's say you just really like to have a warm morning beverage, but you want to do intermittent fasting. I usually say go for something decaf. Like you could do a decaf coffee or you could do something like mud water or another sort of like alternative beverage. And you could add like a little bit of almond milk, like a little bit of coconut milk, something like that. And like maybe a little stevia or monk fruit to sweeten it. Um, but if you're quote unquote intermittent fasting, but you're having a big cup of coffee with butter and MCT oil, eh, you're, you're kind of, you're not really doing it. So yeah. keep in mind that like those things can add up, um, but it doesn't mean that you can't drink things like tea, for example, and teas actually, certain teas can be really amazing for just enhancing your fast. I love um, the brand Peak for different sort of fasting teas are excellent. Um, so you could do those, but with the caffeine, I definitely, I prefer to keep caffeine to when you eat your first meal. This will also help delay that sort of like caffeine absorption and, and spike, and it'll keep your energy more stable for longer. Whereas if you have caffeine on an empty stomach early in the day, you'll more likely get that spike and crash, and then you're going to get more fatigue in the afternoon. Yeah, I would say if at all possible, don't consume any calories if you can. I mean, a little, little, like five to 10 calories in a vitamin water, that's completely fine. But try not to add any creamers in your coffee, sugar, honey, anything like that. Stick to stevia, monk fruit, low calorie, um, nothing that's going to spike your insulin levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that includes and yeah. those annoying little, um, that brand that has the sugar in the electrolytes. Why am I blanking on that? Oh, liquid IV. Yes, that one. Don't drink those. They have calories and sugar in them. They will not be good for fasting. Yeah. Unless you're an athlete, you really don't need those. Honestly, there's so many better electrolytes out there that don't have a ton of added sugar too. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And then the way to break your fast, big fan of making sure that you have a good complex meal with all your mm -hmm. components there, especially, oh my gosh, your proteins and your, I mean, some, some people say, and Mindy's like this, say, break it with high protein, high fat, keep carbs low to help increase insulin sensitivity even further. That's debatable, but I like to say, break it with a good meal of all those three components, good healthy fat, complex carbohydrate with fiber, and a good 30 grams of protein. Very, very important with what you break your fast with and make sure that's a good anti-inflammatory meal. Yeah. I mean, I say the protein and fat is always non-negotiable with, with every meal, but especially with breakfast. At like 30 to 35 grams, usually if you're a larger person, then maybe more even like 40. Um, the carbohydrates, it really depends on the person if you want to have it with breakfast or not. But regardless, get in, like, I like to say like your first meal is a great opportunity to get in vegetables, whether that's greens or crucifers or, you know, things like even like cucumbers and tomatoes, but like make it that also a non-negotiable at that first meal will really set the tone for the day as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're breaking your fast, if you don't eat enough calories when with your first meal, you're going to be a ravenous, angry bear the rest of the day. So make sure that you have enough food that you're breaking your fast with. Yeah. And I know I've said this before, but I just want to say it again, that like, you don't need to have like, you don't need to skip breakfast in order to intermittent fast. You know, like you can have a 12 hour fasting window a 13 hour, a 14 hour fasting window and still get a lot of those benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, really, I feel like one of the biggest benefits of this is, is of intermittent fasting or having some sort of time restricted eating is just cutting off the late night snacking, really allowing yourself two to three hours before bed to rest and digest your food. There are certain cases, like if you're having some wonky blood sugar issues, maybe you need to try a bedtime snack or whatnot. Um, but for the most people like that late night eating, especially people that are struggling with getting their calories in control, kind of taking that off the table and making that a no-go can be so beneficial. Um, so just something to keep in mind, if you love breakfast, like I'm a huge breakfast person, I love it. I look forward to it every day. Um, you could still eat breakfast, just maybe it's not within the first 30 minutes of waking up. Maybe it's within 90 minutes of waking up, right? Something to keep in mind as well. You can have breakfast for every single meal of your life, Anya, and it's completely fine. 
<laughs> that's a, that's such a good point. Thank you for that. I... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm having waffles for dinner. Oh yeah. And make sure you guys, oh my gosh, intermittent fasting, definitely you need to make sure you never just like snack, snack, snack. Like once you break your fast, it's not an opportunity to just continuously eat throughout the entire rest of those hours because you still want to support insulin regulation, blood sugar management. So you still should have periods to where you're not consuming food during the eight hours. So that's another reason and thing to bring up is like, you're going to have your fasting and then you're going to break your fast and you're going to consume food, have a little time in between two to three hours between your meals too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Just because you're, again, intermittent fasting is a tool and just because you're using it doesn't mean everything else goes to the wayside and that you're, you do whatever you want and everything will be fine. Right. It's just something to add to your toolkit in addition to all your other healthy lifestyle practices and diet strategies. Yeah. Nailed it. Any other things that you want to talk about when it comes down to fasting, Anya? I don't know. I feel like we covered the big guys. What do you think? I mean, we didn't go over like the fasting mimicking diet, but I would rather us leave that one out. It's basically a diet that's so low calorie that it quote unquote mimics fasting. Um, So we'll leave that one out. Uh, I typically don't suggest that one anyway, Um, but that's the last thing I had in mind. Yeah. Anecdotally, I've, I know a few people and I've had a few clients that have had experiences with those like prolon really is like the most popular one. Um, but from a like scientific point of view, I'm not like the biggest fan. I feel like it's just, it's a little bit gimmicky. Um, and they're just, it's not really necessary for most people. Yeah, I agree. So if you guys, if you ever want to get started with intermittent fasting, I mean, Anya and I both know about intermittent fasting, more than happy to help you, um, help you guys with it. I know I personally have done intermittent fasting and continue to do it. I don't do it as strictly as I used to, but I'm personally a big fan of it. I'm for myself. That being said, I'm not a big fan of it for every single person. So please remember if you ever want to do fasting just because too, it works for you in one season of your life doesn't mean it's going to work for you in all seasons of your life. So you have to just like you adapt your day to day and your life and things, you know, flourish in the holiday season. Like you have to change your intermittent fasting hours. You have to change if you're even doing it or not based on how you are feeling and how you're doing. Exactly. Good point. Cool. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been fun. Um, Make sure you Uh, review this podcast by leaving a five-star review, please. And thank you. And then continue to message us the ideas and the topics that you want us to cover. Yeah. We love hearing from you. We want to make sure that you're getting all the information that you want. So just shoot us a DM and we'll add it to our queue. Awesome. You guys have a great day. All right. Bye.